want you guys to tell me what is what does mom do? You know what is mom's job? Mom is a PA, also known as a physician assistant. I don't really know what she does, but I know that she like reads papers and checks patients out. But other than that, I don't really know what she does. Mom is the person who helps us and takes care of us and makes sure that we're safe. No, what does she do for work? Well, she so. Well, what Finn said, she, he's right, and she, well, I don't know. Hey guys, as you can see, or hear rather, we have a little bit of a different intro for you today. That was my good friend Tracy Paparo's kids doing the intro for her. Um, I've known Tracy for a few years now. We first met at a gym where we were both working out, and uh, we've become good friends uh, over time, so in Tracy's career, other than being a mom, she's a physician's assistant uh, in New Jersey, and she's actually currently the president of the New Jersey Physician's Assistant Association. Um, other than that, she's had a really interesting career working overnights in the ER in New Brunswick to working in hospital settings to working in pain management and just a, a, a variety and vast array of experiences that she shares with us and, and really just talks about her experience as a physician's assistant, answering many of the questions that I know I get each and every day and doing a way better job that I could do understanding what she does. So I hope you enjoy as much as I did. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. All right, we are live with Tracy Paparo. You are a physician's assistant here in New Jersey, local to us, and we have quite the history going back. Uh, first, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just got very off your happy shift. To see you. Yes, just got here. With, in your white coat, very official, <laughs> very official, which we appreciate. I was rushing. I Good. was rushing. Well, we're glad you're busy here today. Thank you for thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for having us. So um, where I want to start, because one of the things that always stuck out to me when we would talk was your original career as a physician's assistant, which is in the ER, correct? In New Brunswick? Yes. So yes. Um, you worked overnights. Yeah. So when I first started back 2001, um, I started in Robert Wood in New Brunswick. I got hired as a physician assistant on night. So from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the ER with... Uh, Myself, another physician assistant, and one doctor. That's it. That's it. And so in New Brunswick. Yeah, the, at Robert Wood. And so you have the you have Rutgers there, obviously. Correct. And it's a city. I mean, oh, so yes. it's, it's not like we're not in a podunk town here. <laughs> You're um, right. So I remember you saying once, talking about how like you, you work overnight, and then you get out and you go to sleep, and then you get up and you go back to work, and you essentially never see daylight. Correct. And you did that for how long? Uh, I did straight overnights for 10, just about 10 years. What? I had a little bit of time off when I had my first son and yeah, but pretty much straight overnights for 10 years. So that's just about anywhere between 14 and 17 shifts a month. Tell me about what that lifestyle is like. Cause you know, you know what I do. I'm here if it's an early day, 630 in the morning, but I'm here five, six, seven at night and then I mm -hmm. go home and go to sleep. You obviously, it was a completely different world. So what is that life like for you uh, mm. working overnights for, for a decade? 
Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I was much younger, which was helpful. Sure. Um, I had uh, not many responsibilities. So I basically would go to work, finish up my shift, come home, maybe try and eat some breakfast, go to sleep, usually sleep until like 3, maybe 3.30. And if it was another night that I had to go back into work, you get up, take a shower, maybe work out, usually not right. that back then. Um, eat something and then back at the hospital by 6.30 to start for 7 o'clock. Yep. Um, make some coffee, pack some lunch, well, lunch, breakfast, whatever. Yeah. Bring it with me. Um, it, it wasn't bad because I had no responsibility. I just really ate, slept, and went to work. That's right. And didn't worry about much anything else. And then when I finally... When I did meet somebody, he had a similar schedule. So it worked out very well at first. Yep. Um, and we would just do that together. Right. It didn't really become a problem until you wanted to be more of an adult and actually function during the day. Yeah. And it was it was an issue even back then on the off days. So, you know, we would normally, our schedule, we'd normally do like three, four shifts in a row. And then you'd be done for your week. So then you would have normally between two and three days off. Those days off really sucked. Like that first one, I would pretty much sleep all day because I'd be home at eight o'clock, let's say by the time I got home from work, not have to go into work the next night, but I couldn't stay up all day to, to get my reverse schedule back to where it's supposed to be. So I would go to sleep, wake up at like, try and wake up by two and keep myself busy until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. But there were some nights that like I couldn't fall asleep. So I'd be at Denny's at two o'clock in the morning trying to keep myself busy, vacuuming at two o'clock in the morning, you know, doing anything. Because I found a lot of times until I was married and had like someone else to worry about, I just stayed on the reverse schedule where I was doing laundry in the middle of the night. I was eating my meals in the middle of the night because I just couldn't compensate to be back on that day schedule. Um, Looking back, how do you think it affected you physically doing a schedule like that? Oh, physically, looking back now and knowing what I know now, which I was not as informed then, um, it was terrible. Like I gained a ton of weight. Mm Um, I did not exercise like I should have. And I'm not, it wasn't Knight's fault. Like I could have planned appropriately. Yeah. I was in my 20s. I chose not to. Sure. Um, and my diet was awful. You know, you would plan and bring food with you, sure. But sometimes if you had a bad night, maybe you ate your food too early and then you were hungry and the cafeteria was only open from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And then you're eating like cafeteria food. Mm-hmm. It's not like we, Occasionally, we would order something from somewhere in New Brunswick, but you know what's available in New Brunswick? Pizza. Yeah. You know, bad stuff that you're getting delivered at three o'clock in the morning to the ER. Yeah. So, yeah. Thinking about it now, it was awful. Um, <laughs> the life of being an ER physician, physician's assistant, I mean, you obviously see some pretty crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and it's again, I don't think it's something that we talk about because when we're people that or God forbid, in an emergency situation, we just want to be fixed. But mm-hmm. we don't realize the people on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. Like you're on the – and you, you see it day after day. What is, what is that like emotionally, physically? How does that affect you? Yeah, I think it's rough. You know, and you ask, like, how it affected me um, physically, and I can think about that. I also think about the good parts of it is that 
professionally, I learned a ton Mm -hmm. in the 10 years that I did nights because you're basically it. You don't have the resources that you have during the day. Um, So you need to learn things really fast and be on your on the ball all the time. Not that you don't have to do that during the day, but you have a lot more backup during the day. Um, you know, people tend to have crazy mishaps and become really sick at odd times, and it's usually during the evening or at night or early morning. Um, so it's rough. I mean, I've seen some things that I people would never believe me when I tell them about them. Yeah. Um, just people making poor decisions. Um, bad things happening to good people. And when you're in there doing it, and I've talked to lots of colleagues about this, when you are working your shift, whether you're in an ER, just in a hospital in general, even people who just work in an office sometimes, you're not thinking about the ramifications of what you're doing. Because it's almost like putting a mask on, like, I have to get through this. And I know what I'm doing. It's very robotic. Like, I would get an adrenaline rush from being able to, you know, take care of the sick person that just came in and see them better. Mm -hmm. They may not be perfect, but at least I solved the problem that was happening. It could be a little problem. It could be a big problem. And you get that endorphin rush from that. You don't think about it sometimes until weeks later when you're like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe I actually did that. Like, maybe you're telling – I would find myself telling friends or family – and to me, it would be like this silly story. And they'd look at me. I remember like telling you sometimes, you look at me and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how did that happen? I'd be like, no, no, that was just like a Tuesday. Like, it's okay. Um, I think now being out of that world for about two years now, I can appreciate it more. And I can also appreciate how detrimental it was to some extent emotionally because I did not handle it the way I should have. What do you like, mean by that? I should have decompressed myself more, more often, mm-hmm. like done more self-care, been more selfish, um, worried about my emotional state better, um, maybe worried about some people I was working with, you know, where now I see that there are more resources becoming available. It's just like when Pip talks about resources for firefighters and emergency service people, they are hitting more of the professional realm too. It's still a little bit taboo, but it's getting better. I think that I should have taken more of like a, um, what do you call that? Like a mental uh, inventory, you know, maybe every couple of months or maybe not work five shifts in a row, cut myself to like three shifts and, you know, that kind of thing. I think that it's funny because looking back at when I went into going to chiropractic school or you went into PA school, you never, you don't think about anything to that no. sort that you're going to have to deal with real issues with people. and No, because you're like 22, 23 years old. Like yeah. it doesn't bother you. It's not your friend that you're taking care of. Yeah. Right. And then you have to, and then you try to get through school and it's a grind and it's just like, let's pass the test and right. get this to degree and then let's hopefully, right. and let's figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, figure it mm-hmm. out. And, and I think even for you, different than me is, uh, you know, going through school, I kind of knew what my path was. Like it was going to be something along these lines as a chiropractor. We, it's, there's not many options for you. And then I think I want to get into it. You know, you could go in 3000 different directions as a, as a physician says, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, so unless you had a clear path, there mm-hmm. were a lot of different opportunities for you. And mm-hmm. then um, arguably the one that you were in for a long time is, I, I would think would be very, very challenging. Yeah. To be yeah. in. I mean, for me, I 
coming out of school, I knew I wanted to do emergency medicine. I was involved in, you know, EMS and things like that prior to going to school. And I was like, you know, of course, this is how my brain works. You know, I'm very focused for what I have to be, but then I want to move on to the next thing. And it's that instant, like I said, that instant gratification that you get from fixing something Mm -hmm. that's broken. Um, So I worked really hard to find a job in emergency medicine when I first graduated. And like I said, learned a ton there. But yes, thinking about it, the whole, one of the positives of being a physician assistant is that you can change your specialty you know, when, whenever you want. Um, you know, we work collaboratively with our healthcare team and with our collaborating physicians. So it's, I'm going to say relatively easy. People may disagree with me to switch specialties. Um, for the most part, you can find a job in another specialty fairly easy. Um, if you have a great collaborating physician, you can learn new things. Um, but I think the idea of emergency medicine was super appealing because you'd get to see a little bit of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And now having, now I'm out of emergency medicine for the past two years and I'm doing like in hospital inpatient stuff. I do feel like I'm at an advantage among my peers because I've seen a ton of crap mm-hmm. and nothing really rattles me because it's always much worse in the ER. Um, there are things that I don't see the same way or that I'm not as good at because I don't, in the ER, you don't get as in depth with certain diagnoses and certain disease states, but that's not something that you can't continue to learn. You know, everything is a learning process, even in medicine. I mean, standards of care and things are always changing. So you always continuing to learn. Yeah. They call it practice for a reason. Correct. Medical practice. Um, To to educate the general public and myself, because even I'm still not clear and I ask all the time, physician's assistant versus a nurse practitioner, like what's the difference? Okay, so the easiest- Is that, is that a tough question? I don't, it, is that a deep is. question? So okay. it, it's a rough question, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Controversy and, ensues. The, the main, so the main like politically correct answer, right? Yeah. So a physician assistant is trained in the medicine model. So we are trained the same way that, the same didactic learning that med students go through. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, one way you can look at it, although some will argue, the two didactic years that a med student goes through, which means you're in classroom learning, most PA programs condense that to about 15 to 18 months. Okay. And then you know, then med students go and do two years of rotations. PA students do that in another 15 to 18 months, depending on how long your program is. So it's, but still taught in the same medicine model. There are a lot of programs out there where PA students and med students are literally sitting in the same classroom together for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Nurse practitioners uh, are obviously trained in the nursing model. So you have to be a nurse first, you have to have some clinical experience as a nurse. And then the it's a way of thinking and a way of being taught, just like chiropractic medicine. Totally different than, you know, 
an MD or a doctor of osteopathy. It's just a different way of being taught. So they're taught in the nursing model. So some I, of the advantages, they're more focused on the overall patient as opposed to the medicine model, which focuses on disease states. Gotcha. So that was my um, question. The difference, right. I don't even think I, I'm, the difference between the medical model that a PA or an MD right. versus the nursing, I'm not even sure. Right. So when to they me, say... Because to me, when you say like we've trained differently... The body is the body. How we may treat it could be different. Correct. But um, so I like to tell people, I, I tell patients all the time because we have nurse practitioners in our office. Yeah. And they'll say to me, you know, when they see me in the hospital, because I'm only in the hospital, they're like, well, what's the difference between you and the nurse practitioner I saw? Essentially nothing for the patient. Right. I am going to treat you exactly the same way as the nurse practitioner is going to treat you for the most part, just like if you were going to one doctor versus Dr. A versus Dr. B. Um, for the most part, we arrive at the same decision or the same diagnoses. The way our minds may get there are different. Okay. So our approach and our way of critically thinking about the situation or the patient is different. Mm -hmm. But we arrive at the same diagnoses. And so essentially, you know, because we work side by side, there are APNs that work in emergency departments. There are APNs, obviously, in my office. We may see... You could give us both the same patient in two separate rooms and we'd probably walk out of there with the same diagnoses, but the way that our minds process the information to arrive at the diagnoses are, is different based on the way that we were trained. Okay. And then what's the difference between a, a PA and the MD that you might work with? Right. So physician assistants are considered dependent practitioners. Um, so we, have, we work collaboratively with our physician as part of a healthcare team. Um, so we are, our scope of practice is determined by the physician that we work with. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know, physicians have more training, more in-depth training in whatever specialty they're doing than a physician assistant does. Um, but you know, I'm not going to say they're smarter or they do it better. Again, they're kind of in the hierarchy. They're going to be above us. Yeah. But we work in a good physician assistant physician collaborative relationship you work pretty seamlessly together sure you know yeah i mean i think we i talk about it too the reality is as a chiropractor we i get the medic the medical doctor in the hierarchy is above us that's mm -hmm. just the way it is but i'm not naive enough to think that means that in the things that i know how to do well that they're going to right. know better just like when our common our friend dr baxi i mean mm -hmm. If I have a question on something that potentially needs an injection or that I don't know, I text him. And, right. you know, when he has someone that needs exercise-based rehab, he generally texts me because we both understand it's just different. It's not right. – we don't do the same thing. Right. And right. so, you know, that that's interesting in that way because – but I also think that the education piece – that's why I asked you because one of the things as a chiropractor that I think is is – is where we fail is I think there potentially are a lot of people that go through, you know, the medical system, maybe get surgery, pills or whatever, that if they started with us, wouldn't get there. The problem is in general, the public doesn't trust us enough. Mm -hmm. 
which is a which is a perception problem, whether it's PT, Correct. chiro, acupuncture, because it logically you would think if you had a problem, shoulder pain, back pain, you would start conservative. And then if that didn't work, they would refer you up the chain where it really works the opposite way. Yeah. And I, I was think just going to say it's working in reverse. It works in reverse. <laughs> and again, if people trusted us enough to say, hey, I'm going to go try that because I know that if they can't help me, they're going to send me to the next step. But the public doesn't think that way. And I think that's our fault, not the not the medical model's fault. They've actually, Jay just dominated. They've done a good job of being the experts, mm-hmm. perceived mm-hmm. experts. So that's yeah. how that works. Well, I and yes, perception-wise, it's like branding, right? So perception-wise, yes, I guess the medicine folks have done better than the chiropractors at working that out. But I mean, in a very base level, it's a societal issue. Yeah. You know, um, people make poor decisions on how to take care of themselves. You know, they have all these things available to them. They're I mean, there are people that come to see us that say, oh, I've had this shoulder pain, and but I don't want to tell you about it because you're my regular doctor. Yeah. I go to an orthopedist and yep. it's like, well, but you could come to me for that. And like, I probably would refer you to somebody like you yeah. or somebody like, you know, Dr. Baxi or something like that. But they've already made that jump to go to a, to go to an orthopedist because then, well, that's the bone doctor. Exactly. You know, and, and they don't. They don't think outside the box. Mm-hmm. You know, we've created this box that people think in and and everybody has jumped in that box and taken advantage of it, like insurance companies. So, mm-hmm. you know, a patient's insurance is more likely to pay for them to go to the orthopedist and to go to maybe some PT than to pay for them to see a chiropractor for the same problem. Mm-hmm. And people don't, again, take enough value in their own health care sometimes to say, you know what, I'm going to pay for what I think is going to help me. Yeah. And it's sad, but it, that's why, you know, you know, like one of my big things is just giving the patient some empowerment to make those decisions and realize that it's important. It's like how I say that back in the day, I should have been better to myself and realized that some things were really hard at work and just maybe had a, that day where, you know, you broke down and cried about a patient. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes patients just have to realize like, I may have to pay some money for this because it's going to help me in the long run. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But societally, that's not where we are yet. Um, you, you're you a pretty big advocate in, um, and I think you still work closely with the New Jersey Physician's Assistant. You used to work closely. Do we need to take that part out? No, no, I do. Oh, you laughed. I was elected president. You're a president? <laughs> I thought you looked like maybe we got out of it and now you're president. All right, so we'll keep that in. So you're president. You just got owned in the fact that you don't pay attention to her social media. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, so so you are the spokesperson. So. I am the spokesperson wow. for it's the New Jersey State Society of Physician Assistants. Well, congratulations. I think. You. you. I always ask, is that good or bad? Because um, we'll see by the end of it. Yeah, you know, it's I'm about it. I'm almost a, I'm a year in now. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. It's yeah. been a learning process. Okay. Um, you know, New Jersey in the grand scheme of the United States and especially the East Coast is a very small state. I don't think I realized how small it was. Um, there are roughly 2,700 licensed PAs in New Jersey. Um, we NIJSPA does not currently have that many members. Mm-hmm. I would love to have that many members and be able to, you know, do lots of things. So definitely membership is a thing. Um, there's four now five PA programs in New Jersey. So we have a lot of students coming out looking for jobs. 
Um, we are, you know, one of the highest ranked, you know, up and coming, uh, what is it called? Jobs or careers. I was going to, I was going to ask you from that perspective, because unfortunately in chiropractic, honestly in law and sometimes in medicine with the way the world works now with the amount of student loan debt and coming out of school and with the job market, the way it is, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of trending away right. from that, whereas physician's assistant potentially it takes less to get through school, but the pay and the work-life balance and the opportunity and the potential seems like on the surface, like it could be a really good thing. Is it? Is that what we're, where yeah. we are? I mean, I, I think yes and no. You know, it all, I tell students that when I have talked to them, you know, I was recently at a conference in August talking to like pre-PA students and I made that a thing to think about. Like when looking at programs, I said, you know, you got to think about how much debt do you want to incur? You're going to come out and you're going to make good money. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to make a million dollars, you know? Right. So you, you put it in perspective. And I, and I use the example that like New Jersey is a small state. We have a lot of students coming out. So it's not when I came in 2001, I came from New York. Um, there were a decent amount of jobs. But I also had a it, it's like going going between like a buyer's and a seller's market, right? I could pretty much name my price because there weren't a lot of PAs looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. Where now students coming out, it's like, yeah, slow your roll. Like, I'm going to tell you how much I pay you. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a threshold that you should not settle for. But it's not, you know, there's room for negotiation, but it's definitely not how it was even just five years ago. There's definitely more people looking for jobs. Um, But that being said, that's New Jersey. Like, you get outside of New Jersey, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, There's a lot of opportunity with, like, federally qualified healthcare centers. They have a lot of PAs that run those places. Um, There are a lot of, uh, in underprivileged areas, are very PA-heavy. Um, and they have loan repayment programs and things like that that you can totally get involved in. It definitely will be, no matter what PA program you go to, it would be less debt than coming out of med school. Yep. So that's a positive for a lot of people. Sure. Um, you know, and again, but I tell people it's, you got to check your ego too. You know, you're not going to be top dog. That's a, that's a good point that I didn't really think about because, um, yeah, you you won't you can't based on the the hierarchy yeah. you are literally underneath right. where in here i mean listen i understand the model but if if i was in the system i wouldn't be top dog right. technically right. but we kind of as chiropractors we kind of run our own shop yeah so yeah. it is kind of where yeah. you guys you, not in new jersey i mean out, there are other states where you know a pa could be um fairly independent and actually have their own clinics but mm-hmm. it's not the case in new jersey yeah um and that's okay you know, for me, I mean, I see it as a plus as functioning as part of a healthcare team. I, I like working with my collaborating physicians. I like working with other PAs, other consultants, and coming up with a treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it works out better for the patient. I also like being, you know, the point of contact for my patients because I'm their chief advocate and their chief information person. And, and I think that is where PAs... Uh, serve better than medical guys, I guess. I don't want to call it MDs, DOs. They're great, but I think we're a little bit better with the human side of it um, and a little bit better communication. And, you know, I think it it's an advantage for us. 
what is what is the is it just that PA is new? You talked about when you came out, it was you could pick your price, and now was it not as much of a, a need? As has there been healthcare changes where it's more needed now as a PA? Yeah, I think uh, with the changing atmosphere of healthcare, um, it has lots of places have embraced the the idea of physician assistance for a couple of reasons. You know, insurance recognizes us way better now, so we are getting. You know, we do get direct payer except for Medicare, which we're working on. Yeah. That's a national level thing. Yeah. Um, super involved in that too. Nice. Um, the other thing is just overall. So even think about being a doctor and owning your own office mm -hmm. and you're getting super busy and you need some help. You could hire a PA who you could theoretically pay a little bit less because our malpractice is a little bit less, you know. Yes, we do not have the wealth of training that a physician has. Um, or you could hire another physician to be your quasi-partner and have to pay them just as much as you're making. Yeah. I'm never going to make as much as my collaborating physicians. I never expect to. Mm -hmm. That's me. I know some PAs may, may disagree with me, um, but that's me. You know, I stay in my lane and... I do the best I can for my patients. So I think it's seen as an advantage, especially in the hospitals. You know, there's in the ER that I was in, I think currently there are probably over 20 physicians on staff and there are 12 PAs. Mm -hmm. It would be a hell of a lot more expensive to put 12 more docs on. Yes. It's a lot cheaper to put 12 PAs in there. Mm -hmm. But they are highly trained, have a good relationship with the docs you know, lots of confidence and they're serving the patients just as well. So financially, it's a better idea for the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's another advantage that we have. You talked about when you speak to students and, you know, even in here, we have a lot of people that come in. The kids are in high school. They're look at by the time. It's crazy. You're 17 and you're already thinking what the hell I'm going to do when I'm 50. It's bizarre. Um, I guess. What would you tell a high school student that's maybe thinking healthcare? I don't know, PT, maybe medical, osteopath, physician assistant. You know, are you someone that recommends it, or are you someone that? What, what would what, what do you think would make someone that would be successful in that career path? Yeah, no, I would recommend PA to anybody. Honestly, um, I would never discourage anybody. I think just looking if you're the type of person who's like, I want to do something in healthcare. I'm not quite sure what it is. The Biggest thing that I would say is n get into a good college program that is going to provide you the prerequisites for anything. So you talk about chiropractor, MD, DO, PT, speech therapy, occupational therapy, PA. There's all of them have like basic, I mean, correct me basic if I'm wrong. Basic sciences. Oh, you yeah. all have basic science requirements. Yeah. And then there's like some outliers. If you want to go to med school, you know, maybe you need this. You know, for certain PA schools, you need genetics. That's like a new thing they added two years ago. Um, for other certain things, you don't need this. But you're going to need bio, chemistry, physics. You're not going to get away from that. Yeah. So go somewhere that is going to provide you that, but that you're also going to be happy and have you know, exposure to something else because you want to make yourself well-rounded. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to be that person who just went to all your science classes and never did anything else because tell me, you're going to go interview a PA school and they're not going to take you. Right. You know, so that's the biggest thing I tell people is make sure you know what the prereqs are and that you're somewhere that you can get them, but that you can also explore other interests. 
Um, Speaking of other interests, talk about because because uh, I think people would be interested in knowing the different places that you have worked because there are it's, it could be so vast, right? So you, you were in the yeah. ER, which is like what we all think of when we have a problem, we go to the ER. But where else have you? Yeah, have you worked I mean, with we could start from the beginning. When I first grad, I graduated in June of 20, 2001. Um, I worked briefly, so for six months, I worked in an inpatient psych unit. In New York, in New York, in Brooklyn, um, doing like medical care for the uh, for this the lockdown psych unit. And that was very interesting, and it was basically because I really needed a job, and they were willing to hire me, and that was why I was looking for an ER job. And then I got the job in New Brunswick, and did that for ten years. But even while I was there, you know, you're only working fourteen to seventeen shifts a month, so that's a lot of days off. Um, I worked per diem doing some family medicine in an office. Um, so that was a nice balance. And then when I got out of uh, ER medicine because I wanted to spend more time with my kids and not be cranky all the time, mm-hmm. um, I did pain management and physical med and rehab mm-hmm. with Dr. Baxi. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was super interesting for me because I got to see a whole different subset of patients Um, I got to learn a lot of things about PMNR that I would have never been exposed to ever. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the, the least highlighted subspecialties in medicine. And PMNR is pain management and rehab. Right. Physical medicine. Sorry. Physical medicine. Yeah. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time in rehab centers and working a lot with like elderly and disabled. And that was pretty interesting. I did that for almost two years and now I'm doing hospitalist medicine for a primary care group. Um, so I round at the two hospitals in New Brunswick and basically do all our inpatient stuff. And What uh, kind of conditions do you see? Anything and everything you can think of. Is that right? <laughs> yes. I mean, we have a very large geriatric population. So, I mean, the majority of my patients admitted at any time are over the age of 75 and probably have six or seven comorbidities Mm -hmm. and they're in the hospital for you know could be anything from a stroke to pneumonia to a uti to a subdural hematoma uh appendicitis small bowel obstruction we manage everything so basically i i tell my patients i'm the gatekeeper so i'm in charge of you when you're here and i farm out all the things we need you know call the consultants and answer anybody's question because you know, 27 different people are coming in to see you today, but I'm the constant face that they see. And I'm the one that, like, they ask, well, someone came in and told me something. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, again, I think that's, like, the advantage to being a PA. Like, we spend way more time with our patients mm-hmm. and just work to speak to them and empower them to do what they need to do for their health. Gotcha. Um, and so we're – What's the next step for you? Oh, my God. Let your, Raise your kids, work know. in the hospital. Yes, raise my kids, raise my husband. That's right. <laughs> um, You're the president yeah, I of mean, the New I, Jersey Association. I'm president of the association. What made you get involved um, uh, at that level? Yeah, well, I got involved. I've been involved with them since for like nine or ten years now. Um, and just slowly started getting like some more jobs. And a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, became head of the government affairs committee and was super interested in that stuff. Like just how, you know, things have to go through the legislator legislation and how 
healthcare is so influenced by the government and really working to get PAs better recognized in New Jersey, you know, get just mainly to get us a seat at the table, to be a stakeholder in these things that are affecting our patients. Um, so I was super involved with that. And then, you know, it was really by default because there wasn't anybody else that wanted to be president. No. Um, but I really have that. I really do want to make it a better place to practice for PAs and to influence our patients. So I'm doing that um, as far as like professionally, I'm working with the office, with the group that I'm with now um, in doing more like care management and like chronic care management things with our patients to try and keep people out of the hospital. Um, I realize again, it's all about empowering people. Sometimes they just need to be told that they can be in charge of things. You know, they need to know why am I taking this medicine for my blood pressure? You know, an 80 year old is not going to make their blood pressure better by exercising or losing weight like a 25 year old is. But so you have to tell them it's okay to take this medicine, but like there are other things you can be in charge of. You can control your sodium. You can, you know, check your weight every day and make sure it's okay. Like you have to give them those small little victories that they can have. So we're working on that and it helps me because it's going to keep them out of the hospital so I don't have to see them in the hospital. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then personally, I mean, I'm trying to keep up with Pip <laughs> and do my workouts. There you go. <laughs> Got to manage yourself, right? Yeah. That's the hardest yeah. part. No, and I think, and definitely, I mean, Pip knows it's all about like, and I think I've told you, like it's all about turning 40 and realizing that like, you kind of hit your stride like you know where you are you know what you're doing it's like talking about that 17 year old who's trying to figure out what they want to do with their life i feel like i kind of finally figured things out yeah you know i can manage to work out like four or five times a week and yeah. feed myself appropriate food uh-huh. and yeah i think you just got to keep going with that jam well, i think the other part too is you and i both being caring for patients that uh, it's easy to just tell people what to do and it's better to go through the journey with mm-hmm. them. And I think also the vulnerability to say like, we're not perfect either. And right. like, I ate like crap last night and yeah. I'm not in a good place either. And I've been there. I, when I tell people like, I, like, wait, you don't, you didn't work out seven days. No, like no. what? <laughs> My workout last night was terrible. I was at the gym and the trainer was like, I was like, I'm going to play tennis. He's like, Oh, that's why your workout was so crappy. I'm like, yes, that's why it was so crappy. So yeah. Because I think people don't see us like that, you know? It's like when my kid sees their teacher not in school and they're like, what are you doing here? It's like, well, they don't live there. It's like when my patients see me somewhere, they're like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I have a life outside of taking care of you. You know, I have to take care of myself too. Um, Yeah, and I think if you remember that, it makes you feel so much better. And it's, it's rewarding to see people take a interest or a stake in their own well-being yeah what and no matter what that is i've learned a lot too because sometimes you realize that what you thought was important for that patient is not really important to them and maybe they have a whole nother feeling about it you know we do a lot of i do a lot of end of life care because our patients are older um and sometimes just hearing what they think is important to them i've i know i've come home and told pip like i would have never thought of that like, I would have just never thought of it. Can like, you give me an example? I can't believe it. Um, Not to put you on the spot, but... I'm trying to think. To like, put you recently. on the spot. Um, you know, I had a patient recently who was 
unfortunately going to die of metastatic cancer. And it was super important for her to see some people before she passed away. And she wanted to get home. She was like, I just, I, I want to pass away in my own house. And she said to me, she was like, I realize that I may not be awake or I may not be able to breathe or you may have to give me medicine to keep me comfortable. Like she knew all the aspects of that. And she knew that it may not be the easiest thing for her family to see, but she identified all that. Like I was so proud of her that she was able to tell me that and actually relieve me of a lot of that pressure. And it was one of like the best interactions I've had. Mm -hmm. And her family heard a lot of it and they totally, they understood, you know, and you know, or as far as like a little grandma that I saw in a home visit who told me that her 72nd anniversary is coming up and she just wants to make it to that and be able to bake a cake for her husband. And I was like, oh, and here I am telling her, you know, let's talk about your sodium intake and let's talk about you taking your Lasix every day. And yes, that's important. But she's like, I really just want to be able to bake a cake. She's like, I don't even have to eat it if you tell me I can't eat it. But can you just make my feet not swollen so I could stand up and bake a cake? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can certainly help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we talk about it in here. We just need to be experts in what things, what people want to do. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. just got to be able to help people do exactly. what they want to do. Because if they feel like you listen to them and you help them do something that they felt was important, like they're going to feel that they accomplished something. They're, it, it's it's not belittling the art of medicine and the, the, you know, how good medications themselves are and different therapies we have. But if a person feels like, well, that was something I want to do and I did it. It's like, you know, you want to hit a 250 pound deadlift and you do that. You feel freaking fabulous. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? Grandma wants to bake a cake. Like, let's make her do it. Yeah. And I think well, coming out of any sort of medical program, uh, that's one of the hardest parts is that you learn all this stuff and you want to do all the stuff that you're trained in. Right. And then you realize that grandma wants to bake a cake <laughs> and it's like, all right, let's just figure out how to do that. Exactly. And it's exactly. Uh, it, and you realize nobody taught me how to bake a cake. <laughs> but to your point, though, it takes a while to get over yourself. Yes. To get to understand that it isn't about you and the stuff that you just spent all this time learning and you're slaving mm -hmm. over this in the yeah. in school and now it comes back to like, is that what we're doing? And yes, that is why you're here. So mm -hmm. someone else can do that. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to promote? Anything you want to tell the audience to promote? Well, if there are PAs listening, they could should certainly go become members of NJSPA, <laughs> NJSSPA.org. We are also on the IG. Yeah. Uh, at NJSSPA and also on Facebook. Yeah. Um, so that would be awesome. We also do have a level for physician partners if any collaborating physicians would like to support their uh, PAs that they work with. Um, if there are any PAs listening, we just, I don't know if you had a, if people have seen, we had a big win in the chiropractic physical therapy world recently, um, which we battled the state and the insurance companies and we won all 100% due to our association because we have such a strong association in New Jersey. But part of the reason we have a strong association is because we're all solo practitioners. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a hospital system to back us or like a, a big group. And so- right. 
Cairo's right. generally stick together where a lot of them are bastards, but they stick together because they got they got nobody else. Yeah. But it was it was like never and you know, the amount more people that joined our association and that make donations to the to the pack, the political mm-hmm. lash committee after yep. this is enormous. And yeah. So if no, I, I'm glad you said that because that's like a main point that I make to a lot of PAs that I talk to is like in New Jersey, you have to remember that Najispo is going to be the only but only person fighting for the PAs. You may work for a big hospital system. You may work for a great medical group. They have a lot of other people, mainly the docs, to be looking out for, and you're going to get lost in the shuffle. Um, so we're the ones that are watching everything for you. You know, AAPA is our national organization, and they do a great job nationally. But on the state level, Nujispa is the only one that's paying attention to anything going on. So it's super important. Perfect. Um, thank you so much, Tracy. No, thank you. This, this was, was awesome. Great. Did great. You guys are a very well-spoken couple. <laughs> All right. Yay. And we're out. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.